This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Welcome to the Center for Sports Studies podcast. My name is Brandon Podgorski, Professor of Sport Management at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to this week's podcast. On today's podcast, we have a recorded interview with author, motivational speaker, leadership consultant, and host of the Success is a Choice podcast, Jamie Beckler. We discuss his background from coaching, working in athletics as an athletic director at the high school and college level, to now transitioning into the leadership side. We're gonna talk about his experience in the leadership world as a former coach, athletic director, and now a leadership consultant. I hope you enjoy. So Jamie, welcome to the show. Hey, Brandon, I appreciate you having me on, man. This is good stuff that you're doing for uh, for the students and for the, the world of, of athletics and, and the sports industry. So thanks so much for having me. That's my pleasure. And we love having, um, you know, professionals on, not just maybe necessarily on the on the sports business side who are direct, dealing directly with, with operations or ticketing, um, but can, as we were talking before we started um, the recording the podcast, you know, when you think about sports and, and the ripple effect that goes out, you know, the, the leadership side or, or consulting side or um, psychology side plays a big part in that, especially as we're talking about team dynamics. So I just kind of want to learn a little bit from you, like, tell us about what you're doing currently. We'll get into your background, but tell us a little bit what you're doing uh, currently as a consultant. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, I I write some books. Uh, I, as you mentioned in the intro, I host the Success Is a Choice podcast, which really just we try to uh, interview people that I find interesting in all walks of life. So not just sports. Uh, you know, we've interviewed people from the Pussycat Dolls, poker players, uh, people from Shark Tank, pastors, authors, business people, whatever. And then I, I do some consulting with companies. I do consulting a, a lot with sports teams. And I, I, when, when uh, pre-COVID or before COVID, I was uh, doing a lot of traveling and speaking at different conferences and, and things like that. But pretty much just trying to help people have better cultures and, and develop better leadership, be, have more positive leadership and, and just make their organizations or their teams better, maximize their potential, however I can help. So that's in a nutshell, that's a lot there, uh, a lot of hats or whatever, but, but in a nutshell, that's what we're trying to do is help people be better with their teams. So tell us about your background and how you kind of got this expertise and experience in being able to take, you know, your past, which I know about, and you can get into a little bit more, you know, working in, in college athletics, high school athletics, to now, you know, working with some, some really high level people. We'll talk about your podcast too, and having some, some really big names coming on to your podcast. You know, tell us about how your experience has transitioned to, to where you are now as a consultant. Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, I, I guess my, my background would be best summed up as, you know, almost like the, the cliche Jack of all trades, master of none. Maybe <laughs> that's probably not a good thing. You know, if I'm asking people to pay me for my expertise <laughs> and I'm saying I'm not a master of none, but you know, my whole career I've, I've played tons of sports. And then even at the coaching, you know, in college, I, I, I went to a division three college and I lettered in three different sports. Um, obviously I wasn't great at any of them or my coach wouldn't have let me play the other ones. Um, <laughs> You know, and even in track, I did everything in track because I didn't have a specialty. I was good at everything. I probably should have done like the decathlon. Um, I was decent at everything, but not great at anything. Um, I was like the fourth man on every single relay. 
uh, not the anchor leg, but like the fourth guy, uh, who, who right. else can we get? All right, let's throw right. Jamie in there. But then even as a coach, you know, I've coached men, I've coached women, I've coached at all the different levels. Um, and, and, you know, I've been successful. I've been coach of the year. Uh, I've had big budgets. I've also gotten fired. I've been a terrible coach at times and I've driven 15 passenger vans, you know, eating box lunches from the cafeteria. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as an athlete, I've been a good athlete and I've also at times been the athlete whose best friend is the water cooler and the athletic trainer. Yep. You know, those are my best friends. So, you know, I, I say all that circling back around because I, I think that I'm actually positioned pretty well. And that's why people have liked some of the things I've had to say in the work I've done is because I understand where a lot of people are coming from. You know, S Stephen Covey, seven habits of highly effective people says, seek first, understand then to be understood. And, and I think I can understand where, all right, you have a big budget, you have a small budget, you're successful, you're not successful, you're building a program, you're established, whatever. Like I can understand a lot of those. And so I, I, I try not to just dive into theory, you know, theory, 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 or this is what I would do if this is the case, or I've never been there. I've been where you're at. Um, and so I think that's why a lot of coaches, ADs, businesses even um, have, have brought me on to help out. Hopefully I've helped out a little bit, but you know, um, uh, you're there in Indiana. I started off uh, early in my career. I was an assistant coach at Anderson university, which is a little bit South of where you guys are at, but a division three as well. And I started off there and uh, I was a NCAA division three head coach in Texas at the age of 27 you know, uh, had some success early with, with coaching, but, uh, and then I ended up my organized career at Marion, Indiana, also in Indiana, obviously, but Marion high school as the athletic director there for a couple of years, you know, uh, those of you that aren't familiar with Marion, you know, fifth largest high school gym in the world seats over 7,000 people. Um, you know, nobody has won more basketball boys, basketball state titles than Marion. And so there was, there was a lot of fun there. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell, uh, my career. Um, but you know, I've done a lot of good things and I've done a lot of things that, uh, I learned from, or other people could learn from, you know, some, some life lessons that people could take away from don't do this. Well, I mean, we can get into that and, and you're being modest. So, so I'll brag for you. I mean, you were at Martin Methodist down in, in Tennessee, um, all time winningest women's coach there with their basketball team. You know, you go to, to Marion, and I think people in Indiana understand, you know, Marion and, and kind of the dynamics there in Marion, but you, you take an athletic department that was in debt and you were able to turn that mm -hmm. around as well, um, you know, reading through your bio. But, you know, along the way, you picked up some skills. So tell us, you know, what are some of the things that you found that, that work for you where you've been able to go into these organizations and make this massive impact, whether it's things that like you knew that would work because of experience or maybe on the other end, it's like, oh, wow, I did a lot of dumb. I will never do that again. And it made a huge difference. Yeah, I, I appreciate uh, the kind words there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, the thing is, I'm always trying to learn. And life is too short to make all the mistakes on our own. So I try to learn from others' mistakes. But even this morning, I made mistakes. You know, and, uh, you know I'm a veteran at, at making decisions. And I still made some dumb decisions this morning as a business owner <laughs> or as a person. You know, even in my last year of organized athletics, I was still making some mistakes that I should know better as a leader. So you're never truly arrive. You, you never truly arrive and you're never truly perfecting this leadership thing. Leadership is constant. Um, and I do see a mistake that leaders make is that they stop learning. You know, leaders have to keep learning, um, however that is. And, and I think sometimes we think we've arrived or we know it all or we stop being coachable. 
And, uh, but, uh, you know, I think we're in a people business, you know, a people, I, I think so much of it is people, whether it's sports or uh, it could be a, a fortune 500 company. It doesn't matter. You're in a people business. You're like, you need people to, to achieve your goals as a business. You need people that you're going to work with. You need to inspire people. I mean, we can't get things done without people. We can't go through life without people. It's a life is a team sport most of the time. And so I, I think a lot of mistakes that people make, and I did this early on, was not thinking about the people, thinking about the X's and O's or whatever that is, you know, as a professor, you know, thinking about, hey, my, my curriculum or my, my lesson plans or my syllabus, you know, but you forget about the people. Yeah. Um, coaches do the same thing. You know, uh, man, this play, our game didn't work. We lost this game. So I'm going to spend more time on this play or I'm going to put in a new play or I just got to get new players. Well, if you're not treating your players well, then the new players come in and you're still going to treat them the same way, you know? And like for me early on in my career, you know, I'm, you know, I'm at waffle houses at midnight, you know, banging my head against the wall, you know, complaining about my players. You know, these players are dumb. These players are, you know, soft. They're not committed. They don't care. You know? And after a couple of years, one of my buddies looked at me and he goes, you know, Jamie, you were kind of saying this last year. Right. And I was like, yeah. And like the year before. Yeah. Okay. But, players have come and gone in your program. You're the common denominator. You, you're, you're the one that's always in your program. So if you got players that are this way, you need to either recruit differently or you need to treat them differently. Um, and that was kind of a wake up call for me. Um, and then I got fired shortly thereafter, but it was a wake up call moving forward. Uh, you know, Hey, it's not enough just to care about your players, but you really have to let them know that you care and you have to do all you can to coach them up. And so whatever we're in, that's, that's the biggest thing I think is a takeaway is we're in the people business. How can we coach people up constantly? And uh, just last night I was on a podcast and um, the people asked the podcast host asked me about evaluation meetings at the end of the year. What are some strategies for an, a good evaluation meeting at the end of the year? And I said, one of the best strategies to have a good evaluation meeting is that's not the only evaluation meeting that you have. Too oftentimes we fire someone at the end of the year and they had no idea they were getting fired or, or we cut somebody or we say, Hey, you stunk, you know, you did this, this, and this, and I didn't like that. And they'd never heard that before. They didn't know. They thought they were, things were going well. Um, you know, it's like in your class, Brandon, you know, if you go the whole semester, you know, with no homework or no quizzes or no tests, and then you just at the end, it's like, all right, here's your grade. They had no idea where they were at. Now we should say players should be self-introspective or self-reflective or evaluate themselves, but most people don't do that. So if you really truly care as a leader, you have to be evaluating them constantly, but more importantly, coaching them up, coaching them up. It's not an, I got you type situation. It's a, Hey, how can I make you as good as possible? Um, and, and we don't do that as leaders or coaches, you know, and, and honestly, I've seen so many businesses they know they're going to fire someone at the end of the month mm. or I know I'm going to fire them at the end of the week, but I still got to get four more days out of them. And it's like, dude, if you're going to fire them, like, how is that helping your culture? How is that helping them? So until somebody is, is gone from your class, from your team, from your business, coach them up because you never know when there's going to be a moment that they can help your business or they might turn it around. You know, it's funny. I think that just convicted me, everything you were talking about. I was kind of thinking, you know, just personally, just doing a little bit of reflection would have been my biggest weakness, you know, as a coach or, or a former AD 
And you were talking about evaluating people. And I, and I think that was probably mine because you're right as a coach or even as an AD, you kind of put blinders on and you're just kind of looking to the future and looking to your department. And it's like, I got to do all these things here. And I think not really taking the time to be maybe intentional would be the good word I would use um, with players or, or even with my coaching staff and, and just saying, Hey, here's some things we got to do to get a, a little bit better. And then just waiting it till the end of the year when some of that stuff just festers and that year in evaluation all of a sudden becomes, instead of trying to help, it's contentious. And, you know, you kind of got into that. I want to talk about your latest book, The Bus Trip, and I'll let you talk about the book, but just kind of with, with the players and maybe having a little bit more personal relationship with them or just maybe kind of realizing it's like, wow, maybe some of the things I thought wasn't true. And, you know, you kind of realize things along the way. So tell us a little bit about your book and, and maybe was it based on any personal experiences? Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, thank you. But uh, yeah, it was essentially based on like 25, 30 years of, of personal experience or stories Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, there's stuff in there from just teams that I consulted with a year before I wrote the book or whatever, you know, there's, there's stories that I was hearing or things they were telling me or situations that they had that I wanted to include in the book. And so I wanted to provide a book that was really for students, for athletes. Now, obviously more coaches are going to buy it than athletes are because 16 year olds or 21 year olds aren't going to buy books as much as a coach will, but the intention was this is a book for athletes to understand how to work with one another, how to have a hand in their culture, how to take ownership in their culture and, and to be better leaders, uh, more positive teammates. And um, so we have a number of situations in the book. It's a fictional book. Uh, so it's a fable. And if any of your listeners are, are familiar with like John Gordon uh, or Patrick Lencioni, uh, five dysfunctions of a team. Uh, he writes a lot of stuff or, or there, there's an author in Indiana named Todd Gonware. He wrote lead for God's sake. So it's in the fable. It's in the fable uh, sense. It's a fictional book. It takes just a little over two hours to read, but throughout the story, it's a team that's struggling, having a challenging season and they're on this road trip and there's a whole bunch of situations and conversations that occur. And we essentially outline how you should be talking to your teammates, how you should remind them of standards, how you should remind them of what's the most important in their life, how you can be a better teammate to each other. And so we wanted to provide almost a blueprint for kids to understand what they could do and how they could talk to one another. And, uh, you know, I was pleased with the outcome. You know, I, I don't, I don't know if anyone else liked it. I mean, obviously I know that there's some people that like it, um, but I don't know if everybody liked it, but I liked it. Like it was, it was when I got to the finished product, it was like, okay, this is good enough to release. This is something that, that I feel comfortable with a high schooler or a college age person reading. And uh, just last night I was on with a college team from Texas. They were, are going through the book together. And last night was their first, their last night of the book study. Um, and so I was on zoom with them and they asked me a bunch of questions, you know? And so, you know, we've all had that English teacher or that literary teacher that, that's uh, trying to get us to get inside the mind of some dead dude, you know, that wrote this <laughs> book or this poem. And we're like trying to figure out what they meant. Well, I'm not dead, you know, so <laughs> they got to ask me questions of what I was thinking. So that was fun. Well, I mean, you kind of touched on a little bit about like different type of leadership traits. 
And to plug another book of yours, the leadership playbook starts to kind of go into that. And, and what I liked about that is that you take a lot of different leadership principles and you kind of break them down in a little bit more of bite-sized chunks. It's not like a, you know, and this isn't insulting you at all, but it's not like a high level read, like you're reading a, a research journal. It's stuff that's actually practical and people can understand. So if you had to boil down good leadership and just to a few traits or actions, like what would they be? And, and we'll stay in the sports space, especially okay. like in coaches or players. Like, what do you think they would, that would look like? Yeah. One of the, one of the very first things that I think everybody needs to understand, and, and this is a big emphasis of mine is that our traditional sense of leadership is not correct. And I know you said to stick in the sports phase, but whether it's, we're dealing with a president whether we're dealing with even our family, our business, our coaches, our captains, our traditional sense of leadership is that there's a positional leader. This person is in charge. You know, who's the boss, essentially? They've got status or they're the top of the flow chart. They have authority. They have a business card. They have a title, something like that. That's our traditional sense of leadership. And I think that that, that holds us back sometimes. Because let's say you have a basketball team and you have two captains. Well, maybe I have 15 players. There's going to be times when there's three of those players together and there's no coach and captain around. Mm -hmm. And so if those three players don't think of their, themselves as leaders, then they're probably not going to do what's right or they're not going to necessarily be intentionally helping each other be better. And so I look at leadership as not titles or, or authority or status, but, but about influence, about influencing one another. And it's almost like it's a... Um, uh, it's a one-on-one -on -one type thing. Most leadership that happens, you know, most leadership that happens isn't like, you know, the old movie, like Braveheart, I think of where Mel Gibson's on this big horse and he gives this great speech and thousands of people follow him into battle. That's what we think of leadership. Like everybody's going to follow and do what I say. Most leadership happens with you talking to a student in your office or showing that you care or one-on-one -on -one stuff or a coach or two freshmen talking in the back of the bus or in the cafeteria. And they're encouraging one another. They're reminding each other of how they can accomplish their goals. That's true leadership that happens more often. And that's more likely to happen. And so I think of it like the wave, you know, obviously we're not at sporting events right now, but we've all been to these big sporting events and you know, the wave happens the wave happens and it's because one drunk yahoo got another drunk yahoo who got another <laughs> yahoo and pretty soon there's this section doing it and then another section you know it's never like the pa address announcer or the jumbotron doesn't say all right we're starting in section 29 you know we're going to do the wave and then it'll go to 30 and 31 it's it's one person and another person another person and pretty soon you got 80,000 weird fans doing the wave yeah. that's kind of the leadership and and when you ask like that would, that would be the number one thing I would want people to understand because then once you understand that, and if you can kind of agree with that and see where that could be the case, now that changes how you approach leadership. Now it's not just the coach only training up two people and only relying on two people. Now we're trying to train everybody. And now we're, we're seeing the value and significance of every team member and how every team member can help us or hurt us. And so now you just take on a different, level of coaching, a different level of leadership where you're trying to make everybody better, but you're not also trying to get good compliant followers. You're trying to get good leaders. You're trying to develop other leaders. I know that freshman is not going to lead the whole team, but man, that freshman can, can influence two other people. And then maybe they can influence someone else and they can influence someone else. And now your whole culture is exactly the way you want it. 
and, and there's so much to unpack what you were just talking about, because you're right. I mean, up until the 1950s or 60s, um, there was just this thought of the, the charismatic leader. And it was just that person who was really outgoing, um, maybe, you know, in a nice way to put it, um, eccentric. Um, and people would just kind of follow that. But now we found that, you know, more like the, the transformational leadership or servant leadership is kind of what's preferred and, and what has longer lasting um, effects for any type of organization. So if you were to tell a coach um, how he should go about getting his players or just, I guess, any leader to, uh, for their team to understand that, that, you know, if, if you're on, you're a freshman on the JV team, you're not getting any time on the varsity, but you still have a role and responsibility for a team on that team, you know, how can coaches, how can they nourish that? Or how can they make those players feel important? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And oftentimes it starts with just acknowledging that that's what needs to happen. Most of us as coaches, don't see it that way. Most of us as coaches, to be honest, you know, we preach the team, the team, the team, but we, our actions betray our words. And so we don't treat that freshman. Who's the 15th dude at the end next to the water cooler. We don't treat him or her like they're significant. We don't treat them like their value. We don't catch them being good. We don't add value to them. We don't make them feel like they have a role that's important. Now, not every coach does that. But I would say, honestly, you know, uh, check yourself, but the majority of coaches don't do it that way. I mean, the majority of coaches, the 15th man on the team or the kid that they don't like, they don't spend as much time with. And that kid can ruin your culture or that Mm. kid could actually help out your culture sometimes. Or at worst, you know, even if you're Machiavellian-esque, that kid might have to play for you someday. You know, you might have foul trouble or an injury and now lo and behold, the kid you don't like has to play for you. So even if you're at a Machiavellian stage, you know, train them up and develop them and have them have confidence so that you can use them one day, you know, which I'm not in for using kids necessarily or being Machiavellian or manipulative, but at the base level, you should be coaching up every kid that you have. So, and the first, so the basic level to basic answer to that is first of all, coach has to understand that that's important. But then secondly, they've got to do what they say they're what what they say is important. Team, team, team. Okay, so you're not just pointing out when Steph hits that shot at the end of the game to win the game. You're pointing out that Draymond set that screen. Mm. And and you're pointing out that, you know, uh, uh, you know, whatever D'Angelo or, you know, Kevin made that pass or so-and-so took that charge with 10 seconds to go in the game that even got you the ball back so Steph could hit that shot. So you're constantly pointing out these little things that you're preaching them to do all the time. You're always asking them, you're selling something, you're selling them to sacrifice, put their agenda, their ego on the side for the sake of the team. And now what you're doing is you're praising and acknowledging when they actually do it. Um, And I think that's a huge point that coaches or leaders, whether your business whether you're a professor, whether you're a coach, we don't do that enough. We don't catch them being good. And I think we need to do more of that. And then all of a sudden we're going to have a culture where now our, our players want to do things that we ask them to do. Well, you know, and maybe you know about this because you were talking about that, but you know, Tony DeChico, who uh, wrote the book, Catch Them Being Good, which I think is probably what you were mentioning there, you know, talks about that a lot. And this guy was a former um, 
head coach of the U.S. women's team. And we can get into the depth. Actually, it, it would be an interesting conversation because we both have coached men and women um, and the differences with that. But one of his big takeaways in that book, especially with coaching women, is that, you know, you do, you do have to, and you do, you're talking about the culture. Like, this is what our culture is going to be. Well, if somebody does something good, we've got to recognize that. And it's not just the stars, but it's those people who make a good pass or, or make a good screen. So um, let's just go down that road. Why not? We just started talking about it. But in, in your experience, what have been some of the difference, and we'll talk maybe from a leadership perspective as a coach, um, between coaching men and women, and what were some tips that, that you would give coaches? Yeah, um, that's an interesting question because honestly, the answer to that now is would be slightly different than the answer when I actually became became a women's coach hmm. uh, back in the early 2000s. I think there's less and less differences now, you know, and and I'm not even talking like physical differences necessarily, but I think it's more imperative now than ever before that we treat every person as an individual and not to go like kumbaya on you or anything like that, but there's so many different personalities and cultures and backgrounds that these kids or these athletes are coming to us with. There's so many, in some ways kids are simple, but in some ways they're more complex than ever. Um, and so I think it's more important now that we're looking at, even if we have a team of 15 guys and even if they're from, you know, high school, you're, you're all from the same town, but you're going to be different. There's so many differences and there's so many emotional issues that you have to deal with. And so many social issues that each one is dealing with in their own way. So yes, I'm taking the easy way out or I'm, I'm not answering the question hundred percent, but whether you're coaching males or females, the individual matters. And, and that's not just a bumper sticker, like every individual you're dealing with or working with has something that they're dealing with, has something in their mind that two best friends might handle something differently. And so you really, it's really harder as a coach now than ever before in some ways. But I also think coaches are messing up by focusing too much on X's and O's and strategies when that's not the reason they lost the game. That's not the reason that their culture is bad the reason that those things, the results aren't what they want is because they're not taking enough time to deal with real issues with people and get to know people and spend time working on those relationships. And, and I'm the king of bad analogies. So this is a bad analogy coming up alert, but in a marriage, it's so much easier for me to bring home flowers, a card, chocolates, or a balloon than it is to have a good, honest conversation or to listen or to pick up my socks after the millionth time of being told not to throw them on the floor of my bedroom. You know, in the same way, a coach, it's much easier to put in a new play or a new wrinkle or change up the starting lineup, but you still have the same issues a lot of times. Um, you're just putting lipstick on a pig. And so I think as coaches, as leaders, sometimes we don't dive into the heart. We don't take the time to deal with stuff that actually is what's causing some of our results. Um, you know, the play, all of us have good plays, you know, what you teach in the classroom, like it's not bad stuff, you know, like you're not teaching the wrong stuff and I'm not as a coach giving the wrong plays. It's all going to work, but I might not have inspired kids because I haven't taught them well, or I don't care about them. They don't trust me or whatever. So 
uh, I went a long way away from answering that question, but I will give you, I will give you a sound bite. I'll give you a little nugget. Okay. So the difference between coaching men and women, and this will get me in trouble and there'll be somebody that'll be like, well, that's not always the case. And it's like, yeah, no kidding. Nothing's ever like the case. There's always exceptions, but so you're in a locker room and you're talking to uh, a bunch of uh, a female team, your women's team. And you're like, you know, we have got to take care of the ball better. We just had way too many turnovers today. Way too many turnovers. That's got to change. And little Whitley over there in the corner. She's like, I wish coach wouldn't be singling me out. I can't believe coach is talking about me, you know, in front of everybody. I didn't mention Whitley. Okay. But she's feeling that way. All right. Same situation on the guy's team. You're, you're talking to him. We got to take care of this ball better. We are turning this ball over way too much. Jalen over there in the corner. He's shaking his head. Yeah. Coach is right. Jawan's got to take care of the ball better. Jawan's <laughs> got to do a much better job. Yeah. Okay. That's a, a, a terrible joke, but. But in some ways, you know, uh, but you, you're going to have those kind of players. You're going to have some players, no matter what team you coach, that internalize things and take everything personally or are offended by stuff or think you're always talking to them or are distracted by things. And you're going to have people that never uh, take responsibility. You know, people that, you know, you could tell them, Jalen, you're the one that screwed up and they still don't believe you or they're going to find excuses. So as a coach, as a leader, you're always trying to find out what makes every individual tick. And, you know, if you're coaching a tennis team or a golf team, man, it's awesome because you only have a few players. If you're coaching a football team or a baseball team with a JV, you know, all of a sudden you've got a million kids. So uh, it's easier said than done sometimes, but that's what makes coaching so rewarding. Um, and it also makes it so difficult at times and challenging. But I think that's that's kind of the beauty in, in taking the time to do the hard stuff. Like I, I've heard stories of, of Nick Saban, like they will have – two hours where they practice getting on and off the bus or, you know, we're on a road trip and we're wearing the same things or we come into a, a, a building and we're taking off our hats. Like it's, it's just little stuff. Even Doug Peterson was talking about that with the Eagles when they won the Super Bowl. I mean, now I don't know if there was enough he could do culture wise to overcome some things, but um, you know, those little things, I mean, they do matter. And if, if your culture is, is going to be this, we, like, we say we're going to be about this then coaches have to take that time to, you know, get to know the, in, the uh, players as individuals and, you know, not stand for anything that's going to cut against it. You're, you're absolutely right. And, and you're going to get your culture. Everybody has a culture and that's a, that's also a misnomer out there. Some people will be like, well, we don't, I, we don't really have a culture. No, what you mean is you don't have a good culture. You don't have a culture yeah. you, you necessarily are proud of, but everybody has a culture. Your culture is what you emphasize or allow it's, it's what you re, uh, uh, reinforce. It's what you reward or allow. And, and we're intentional about our culture. Now, if I don't have a very good culture, I was intentional about choosing other things. You know, I'm intentional about not holding people accountable. Or I was intentional about I'm going to focus on X's and O's. Or uh, I think it's a great point with like Nick Saban, uh, you know, practicing that stuff. Or the old stories about John Wooden practicing or showing them how to put on their socks properly. Um, you know, we, on my teams, we practiced how you substituted. Okay. You take the towel, you know, we have a towel, you go to the bench. We would literally practice that where you go from the bench to the scores table. You would kneel at the scores table. We would, we would hit the horn and you would sprint into the person that you're subbing for and you would hand them the towel. And then the person would take the towel, come to the bench, everybody high fives. We literally practiced that multiple times. And that sounds so silly. 
But when you think about it, and everybody can think about this that has ever watched sports, you've seen a person be upset that they're coming off the floor that they just got subbed for. And they mope off the floor or they they don't do something. And we've also seen people go into the game and they don't know who they're going in for or they just are lazy going in and then they're not ready. We've all seen that. And so it's like, okay, we don't want that to be our program. So we're going to, we're going to drill this. This is a special situation that we're going to train, um, you know, but whatever's important to you, that's what you need to focus on. What, what do you emphasize? And certainly you can't emphasize every single thing, but you try to hit enough big things from a macro level that it seeps into, or it, 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 uh, starts to, to move in. It's almost spreads or a contagious thing where it spreads into the other things as well. You know, if, if you're this way from a macro level, then you're going to do a lot of other things that same way. Um, and so, yeah, whatever's important to you, that's what you need to reward. That's what you need to reinforce to have a good culture. Absolutely. And, you know, we're not saying it's, it's this magic bullet that's going to take you from a six win team to a, to a 25 win team, but you're right. Cause it has its tentacles and everything else. It might take you to a a 12 win team. And it might also see your GPA, your team GPA go up and it may see players start to come together a little bit more and just have more cohesion. And, and frankly, for a coach, just make it a little bit more fun because coaching a team where it's just a constant battle and you do have kind of those cancers in the locker room, um, boy, that'll age you quick. <laughs> I mean, we could go hours about how to gain an edge as a basketball coach or a little special situations, but I mean, I, we would have half court shooting contests. Now, first of all, we would do that like on uh, a birthdays or special occasions mm -hmm. to, to make it, to make it fun. But I was also scouting my players because everybody has at the end of a game, at some point during your year, you're going to have to take a half court shot or you have to design something where you can't get a real good shot. You're going to have to chuck it up. Nobody ever thinks about, well, who's actually taking that? Like my mm -hmm. best scorer might be terrible shooting half court shots or you even practice who can throw it to half court accurately. You know, you do all that. You think about what, what can happen on our team or what will happen in our organization. And you prepare for those things. You role play for those things. So you can be prepared. Uh, the Navy SEALs, I love their, their quote, you know, you don't rise, you don't essentially rise to the level of your situation. You sink to the level of your preparation, you know? And, and so, you know, we wanted to prepare for things all the time. And so you're right. It doesn't take you from a five win to 25 wins. But the thing is, you never actually know when the light bulb is going to go on, when mm -hmm. everything's going to click. And you never know. You might lose a game by two points because you subbed in the wrong person or the wrong person, you know, came out of the game or something like that that you never addressed and you lose a game by two, where if you win that game, that might start the floodgates. And now you're on a winning streak. That was the confidence, you know, that they need it. So you never know. Um, and so you try to take care of those little things that'll lead to big things, but that's where as a coach, it's your job. That's why you're getting paid, you know, the big bucks, especially at high school, you know, those $3,000 stipends, you know, <laughs> but that's, that's why you get paid. That's why you're a coach. You know, you, you make people better. You put people in positions. And sometimes you have to spend a lot more time thinking about how I can make, you know, little Brandon better or how I can make little Jamie better or how I can get those two to work together better. We could talk for hours on this. And I certainly could because I'm fascinated by it. 
however, just in the short amount of time that, that we had, we've been able to talk a little bit about leadership and some skills. But if people check out your uh, podcast, Success is a Choice, um, you've had some pretty big names on there. I saw uh, Rachel Cruz was on there. You've had Clark Kellogg, Mike Lombardi, uh, John Gordon, which is kind of like the, um, the gold standard in talking about things <laughs> in leadership and organizational development. So um, pitch us a little bit. Tell us about your podcast. Where can people hear you and, and just about some of the things you get into? Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for the kind words. Uh, Success is a choice podcast and and you can find it, you know, wherever you get fine podcasts, you know, it's on all the, you know, it's on all the S's, you know, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, iTunes, Apple. Um, but, uh, it's also success is a choice podcast.com. And, uh, uh, so they can check it out there, but we, I started off, it's not the best business model. You know, most people will talk about, you got to have a niche and you got to have a specific target audience. So, so I don't get as much momentum out of some episodes as I would like, because my, my, uh, my audience, not every episode is someone that's in their wheelhouse. So if it was only, uh, education, then every educator that ever listens to an episode would want to listen to the next episode or only basketball coaches would want to listen to every episode. So I have people that don't listen, you know, my downloads are up and down sometimes. Okay. Um, so from a business standpoint, it's not great, but I wasn't doing it from a business standpoint. I wanted to add value to people that were my fans, you know, people that, that liked what I was doing and here's what I can do. I can bring some, some guests to you that I find interesting that I think you'll find interesting as well, or have a good story from all walks of life. Because I do think sometimes, you know, like uh, I was in basketball my whole life, but I also played football and basketball and football tends to be, we are, we will learn from basketball and football. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to learn from a softball coach. I'm not going to learn from the golf coach. What do they know about intensity and toughness and, you know, mental toughness or, well, they actually know a lot about mental toughness, but, you know, <laughs> but you get my point. I wanted to introduce them to lots of people because you can learn, you can learn from someone, an entertainer, you can learn from a business person. And so, uh, yeah, it's been fun. It's, it's been fun uh, getting to know some of these people, having some of these people on talking to them. And uh, yeah, it's, I enjoy it. It's been, it's been nice. It doesn't make me money. It's, it's a labor of love. It's a hobby to a degree, but it's been, it's been really fun. And um, yeah, I don't get the episodes out quite as quickly as I would like sometimes, but uh, yeah, like uh, my most recent one at the time of this recording is Rachel Cruz, you know, Dave Ramsey's daughter, but she's, she's got a name in herself. I mean, she's a, a New York times bestselling author, um, you know, she, she's got quite a following herself. She's kind of big time, but you know, I had her on and I was like, gosh, I gotta do better with my budget. You know, the whole time I'm taking <laughs> notes and I'm like feeling guilty listening to her. I'm like, why did I have you on? You're killing me here. Uh -huh. But, uh, you know that, yeah, it's been, it's been fun. Jamie, where can people find you, um, on social media and, and online? Yeah. If they're twits, um, uh, I, I'm on Twitter a lot. Um, so, uh, that's at coach Beckler. And it's B-E-C-H-L-E-R. Looks like Bachelor, but at Coach Beckler. And uh, they can find a lot of my stuff there, you know, and uh, but CoachBeckler.com. They can find all my books and the podcast there and the stuff that I'm doing. Uh, I write a blog article about every over week about something um, most of the time. So, uh, yeah, Coach Beckler at Coach Beckler is the best way on Twitter. Right. Well, Jamie, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Brandon, for having me. Appreciate it. 
Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Be sure to download our next episode on February 5th when we interview entrepreneur and sport industry professional, Tim Ziakas. We'd like to say a special thank you to producer Josh Hornbacher for his work behind the scenes today. This is the Center for Sports Studies podcast, broadcasting from the Trine Broadcasting Network. For more information about the Center for Sports Studies, please visit trine.edu. Also, be sure to like the Trine Center for Sports Studies on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrineCSS. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.